This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Libretto, Memories from a Shoebox, and the author is Joanne Mazzolini. And Joanne joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Joanne. Yes, hello. Great to have you with us. Let me read a little about your book, Libretto. You say this, it's a novel about ambition, success, disappointment, tragedy, jealousy, melodrama. In other words, it's about opera, an account of a singer's life and the world beyond the footlights. Well, this book, fiction as it is, is really based on your life. Yes, yes it is. In a, uh, in a way, I mean, most of the, the things that happen in the book actually happen to me. But what I did with them, of course, I, I uh, spread a little larger and uh, had fun with it. Sure, sure. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I actually started to sing. I started as a painter. A portrait painter, and uh, I, while I was down in New York studying at the Art Students League, uh, I ran into a friend that I had known at the boarding school days who was down there studying singing. And she had a fabulous voice. And uh, when I, just on the street on 50, 59th Street, or I guess it was 57th Street in New York, uh, she said, I'm on my way to a lesson why don't you join me and we'll have dinner afterwards? So I said, sure, why not? And uh, I met the teacher, and that was it. I'd always wanted to sing, but uh, because my biggest talent was painting and, and drawing, I, uh, I ignored the singing bit. But when I told the teacher that I always wanted to sing, she said, well, let's hear you. And uh, so that was my undoing. It was, I was uh, really hooked. And from then on, I uh, started studying singing, and I joined the uh, opera school at Columbia University. That uh, was it. I then went back to Canada because I had found out that uh, one of the best opera schools in North America was back in my hometown, Toronto. And when I left, it didn't exist, but it had started while I was away. And the man who was the director uh, joined uh, the Columbia University the next year. And he's the one that told me about the wonderful opera school. So I went back to Canada and went to the conservatory where the opera school was, and this was the beginning of the Canadian Opera Company. And uh, I was hooked. So Jessica St. James in your story, she is really patterned after your life. That's right. Yeah. She she more or less uh, is me and our travels were what I traveled with. You might be interested, perhaps, in uh, uh, the the most important person in the book is uh, a Russian, a mad Russian uh, singing teacher. And uh, when, oh, years later, I was going to take a, a writing course, a creative writing course, and I needed a fictional person and uh, I remembered having seen a movie with uh, Shirley MacLaine as a mad, crazy uh, piano teacher. And she was very 
over the top and very dictatorial and wanted to tempestuous and uh it it triggered a memory in my mind of uh, this woman I worked with and she was much worse than than what Shirley MacLaine made out to be and uh so I thought this would be a good subject for a material for a book if uh, I had to take a creating writing course. So I uh, really fashioned it on this teacher because I thought she'd be a very good subject for a book. Well, one of the messages of your book, you say, uh, what can happen to an ambitious young singer if he or she gets into the wrong hands or abuses the voice that's what there's a strong theme here oh very strong very strong because uh, uh, she this woman taught some of the greatest singers of that day of, of the 50s I mean they were international singers and she had many many of them and uh, she treated them with kid gloves of course but when I came along I was a young student and she was determined that I was going to become famous so anything I mean she really nearly destroyed me and uh, she was not the right person for me for for me and I should have moved on but because of her reputation and because she knew everybody in the opera world I felt that she could make uh, a career for me but uh, at the uh, you know because of, she could destroy my voice very easily because of the treatment she was giving me. Also, you have to be careful. Uh, I remember uh, when I wasn't given uh, a role in in uh, the following year at the at the uh, Canadian Opera Co- Company. I uh, started to. I had a very bad cold and I had laryngitis. And uh, I didn't care because I knew I wasn't going to sing. And uh, I was screaming my way through a football game, and I totally lost my voice. And then in a month, I was asked to do a big role in Tales of Hoffman. And uh, I started to sing and work the voice carefully because I hadn't been singing for a couple of months. And uh, the voice went totally. And uh, when I went to a doctor, he said I had burst a blood vessel in my throat. Oh, my goodness. And I couldn't believe it because I had been so carefully nursing my voice when I started to sing again. And he said, think back. Think back a couple of months because you've obviously had this for a couple of months and you haven't had to use your voice. So you didn't realize many people walk around, particularly men walk around who've screamed at a football game and uh, they can lose their voice but they never know that they burst a blood vessel because they don't have to use it professionally but these things can happen to a voice so easily that you have to be very careful it's a very fragile instrument and I pointed this out a lot in the book and I've gone into a certain amount of actual breathing and and all the things that uh, train how to train a voice properly. So the do's and and the don'ts for opera singers. (laughs) There are many. (laughs) And and of course, there's romance. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I have in the book, the company brings over from Italy uh, uh, a conductor to run the company, and, and we meet, actually, I met him first over a ping-pong table. And this is quite true, my husband. <laughs> I met him first playing ping-pong, and both of us were pretty hot shots. <laughs> and uh, we never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, I have him uh, die tragically, right. as my husband died right. tragically, too. Right. So after four years of marriage, uh, the husband, yeah. Arturo is killed, and, of course, Jessica is devastated. Yes, she is devastated, and she gives up singing completely, and 
uh, an accompanist of hers that she worked with brought this young girl to her and said, will you teach her? Because she's great talent. And uh, so Jessica became a teacher and she became one of the best in the world. Because this young girl had such talent, she uh, rose to the very top of the trade and uh, the rest is history. I never myself taught, but I thought that I would have Jessica uh, teach mm-hmm. well, because makes... uh, it called for it. Sure. Well, it makes for uh, a real continuous story that has uh, that kind of, of, I guess, emotional appeal. You, you have that. You'd like to see people who go through a profession and things don't work out quite, but then they go off in another direction and they become bigger than they ever thought they would be. Well, I myself went off in many directions because instead of uh, singing uh, after my husband died, I got into real estate and I built a hotel and designed it with my brother and a country hotel. And uh, that took four or five years and a a completely different direction. But, uh, you know, you just never know what life is going to bring you. What was your favorite role in the opera? My favorite role, actually, was... Uh, do you know Fledermouse? I don't. No. Well, Fledermouse is by uh, Strauss. And it has in it uh, a man, a, a prince, who um, Orlovsky, who is a very sort of bad Russian. And uh, she gives or he gives a ball, and it's a trouser, what we call trouser role. But it's it's a wonderful role, and because I was tall and slim, it was a natural for me, and it was really a, a, a good role for me. Now, mind you, the, the best, the biggest role I ever did was Carmen. But uh, have you ever seen Carmen? I have. Yes. Yeah, well, yes. you know, it's it's a taxing role mm-hmm. for a mezzo-soprano, and uh, it's a wonderful role, but it's something that you grow into, and you go and first perform it in the sticks, because you, you, there are so many bumps you have to uh, unravel and get rid of. It's, it's really a challenge, and uh, I didn't. I did it. And actually, my Don Jose was a very famous uh, tenor, a Canadian who rose absolutely to the top of his of the world of of uh, singing. He was a um, really very fine singer. So I couldn't use him in the book. I invented uh, a tenor for that particular part, and uh, it was rather fun because I had a lot of fun inventing him. And uh, it, it's it's a difficult role, but I suppose it was my most challenging role. So your book really points out and emphasizes the very demanding profession, opera singing. Oh, yes. And it's very competitive, extremely competitive. And uh, if you make one mistake, you're you're finished, you know. You, you blow it once, and that's all people remember. They don't remember when you've done a good job. So it, it's a tough one, but it's a very rewarding one. And I wouldn't have changed it for the world. As you wrote your book, did you have some, just some maybe regrets that you didn't continue on and pursue the great career? Um, well, no, because I made other choices. And uh, I must say, building a, a country hotel from two old mills and designing it, it it's a, that's a challenge too. And uh, mind you, I did miss singing and I go to a lot of opera now and I know a lot of people involved in it. But, uh, you know, at uh, 89, you can't sing anyhow. <laughs> so, well, you sound like you can. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> No, I chose other ways. You, you're lucky if you could still sing when you're 60. Well, Joanne, 
Thanks you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Tell us how to get your book, Libretto, Memories from a Shoebox. Well, uh, the thing is that uh, it's, it's all, you can order it here through um, Indigo, which is a Canadian company. And also, I believe you can order it through Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And, of course, you can go directly to the publisher, iUniverse, iUniverse.com. Yes, they would have it, too. They do. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, I've got a lot of copies hanging around, too. <laughs> We've been listening to Joanne Mazzolini. Her book, Libretto, Memories from a Shoebox. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host, Mary Similuka. And frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, One Woman's Choice, and the author is Karen Whitaker, and Karen joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Karen. Hi, Steve. Great to have you with us. Uh, As you say, life is about choices. That's what we're going to talk about. One Woman's Choice. Uh, You say this is an inspiring story about one woman who overcame her past, learned from her choices, and reaffirmed her faith in God. And you ask the question, have you ever thought about how many times in your life you have had the opportunity to make a choice? How much thought do we really put into our decision-making when we make a choice? So this book is really going to uh, help us uh, reevaluate a lot of things that we choose to do? Is that what you're trying to uh, help us understand? Yes. Yes. Um, You know, so many times I've heard um, people use mistakes and talk about choices and and, and whatnot. I think our society is is now, um, over the last probably five to ten years, have talked more about choices um, and and just about life, not, you know, not you know, about anything that you make a choice about, but, you know, owning up to our choices, you know, whether, you know, if it's a bad choice, okay, I made a bad choice, but um, just, you know, knowing the difference between a mistake and a choice and owning up to, to our choices. So you discuss what you say your heartfelt choices and your emotional experiences from abortion to single parenting to adoption. I mean, you're really, this is quite a, an emotional roller coaster here. It is. It it really is, um, and not one that I was planning on taking the journey, um, but I did. Um, 
And in, it's kind of, um, you know, earlier uh, in my childhood, I had some emotional uh, ups and downs journeys um, that were, you know, not normal for, you know, for, you know, a normal family life. And so I think that kind of, I'm kind of, you know, put me on that path of uh, questionable choices, questionable decisions and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but all along, um, I, you know, I always had my, carried my faith with me. So, you know, I, that was always, that little voice was always back there with me saying, you know, yes, no, um, get back on the right track. And so I always had that guidance to help keep steering me when I, when I veered off the, the course. So your book starts out with some of your early experiences as a child? It does, yes. Um, it talks about, um, you know, I was, um, I was born out of wedlock, so I, my mother had a choice. Um, and of my mother's five children, I was the only one uh, that was born that way. So it, it was something that set me apart from the others. Um, I was the only one that did not carry my father's last name. Uh, my two older siblings did. My two younger siblings did. Um, and um, uh, my father, uh, my biological father, um, committed a crime. Um, he went to jail um, for murder. Um, he was in there um, for uh, um, a little over 12 years. Um, I didn't find out about it until I was, um, until I was about 12. Um, so you know, it's preteen, twelve, and um, finding out that was it was it was a little emotional. Um, you know, it's not what you expect to hear, and um, you know, it's such you have an image of your parents, you have an image that you want them to be, to, and um, so when you're um, when you get that when that image becomes tainted, it then somehow feels like it's a reflection on you. Um, so yeah, so there were some trouble. There were some troubling times. Um, I, I did feel different for for many different reasons, and um, so uh, so I talk about that in, in there because I I'm trying to I'm, I want to explain that you know there's a lot of people that go through things a lot even more serious than, than what I've experienced, and I've listened to some on your show actually um, talk about their journey and, and their childhood, and so um, but it doesn't have to dictate who we are or what we become. So one woman's choice, as you put it, is mostly about faith and the will to live and survive no matter what life throws at you. And, of course, uh, life can throw things at us, but also life is filled with choices. And you made choices that you look back on. You probably, at this moment in time, you said, well, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Yes, yes. But it's funny, though, because even though, you know, you you, you look back and you say, man, if you know, if I if I if I had this frame of mind, I mean, how many times do we say, you know, the youth is wasted on the young, right? Because we think, oh my goodness, if I knew what I knew then, what I knew now, I you know, I would have done things differently. However, you know, through that, it builds our character, builds who we are. Um, also, if you know, I I'm a firm believer that, you know, anything moment that has changed would change everything on that course and so I have two beautiful sons you know as a result of that journey and had I made some different choices earlier I may not have have received them so I I don't regret them but I but I I still acknowledge that that some of my choices were not good choices you had an abortion I did so what do you how do you uh Look at that today. Well, you know, there's a lot of women in our society that, that go through that experience. It is not an easy experience. It's, it's, it's not an easy, an easy decision or easy choice to make. You know, and it's hard, it is hard to talk about. It's a very sensitive subject within me and within society itself. Um, but I think, you know, we, we focus so much on pro-choice and pro-life, right? And there's, you know, we got the sides and we got the signs and we have the voices. But I think that it starts earlier than that. And that's what I was trying to 
uh, that's what I want people to understand from the book, is that we need to talk to our young kids, to our sons and our daughters, because we're talking to our women about pro-choice and pro-life. We're not talking to our young boys and girls about the responsibilities and what that comes with. And if we get there and, and teach them, we might not have to be talking about pro-choice or pro-life. You know, these choices of, of uh, you know, getting pregnant out of wedlock, I mean, they've been going on for centuries. Abortion before it was legal has been going on for centuries. So it's not something new. It's, it's just something more that's uh, spoken about more in the media. But um, ideally, you know, that, that's, that's not the right choice. I, that is not the right choice. Ideally, you know, um, you know, having an unexpected pregnancy is not the right choice. Ideally, everybody wants to be married and, and wants to have that. But it doesn't always happen that way. And so um, I just think that, um, uh, that you know, we, we teach our young kids, you know, sons and daughters, the responsibility because I, many times a woman is feeling alone. Um, she doesn't have her family to support her. She doesn't have her partner who conceived this child with her, you know, uh, consensually to support her. And in those times, um, that's when a woman will usually make that decision because she feels like she has no other way out. And so it's not a choice. It's, you know, a lot of people think if you're pro-choice, you're pro-abortion. And that's not true. Many people, women that are pro-choice are not pro-abortion. I know many women who said, I could never have an abortion, but I am pro-choice. You know, so it's not, you know, it's not just women that have experienced something like this. Um, but, um, you know, I went through adoption, and um, so I went through that experience of the, you know, pro-life. And that, that was a wonderful experience. Um, um, but I just, I, you know, I, I think that we need to teach our young boys and girls the responsibilities and owning up to our choices and not, you know, um, not putting so much pressure on females because it's an, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an issue that starts way beyond that, that point. A lot of women don't like to discuss these sensitive issues. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, it, and people in general, it's, it is a sensitive issue. Um, it is something that's kept quiet, whether it's somebody having an abortion that's kept quiet. I mean, think about adoption. Adoption was kept quiet. It was secret. You didn't, women didn't tell that they were birth mothers. They didn't tell that they weren't sent away to have that. I mean, all of it is hush-hush. If a, if a woman got pregnant and she, and her and her husband, you know, they, well, the, the father did, ended up marrying, they didn't announce that they actually conceived before the wedding happened. They didn't announce that to their children or to their families. They kind of hushed. So uh, the whole um, thing around pregnancies and that's all been a very hush-hush thing. Um, but, you know, I talk about it because people say, well, you know, you know, how, weren't you, you know, were you afraid or you just put it out there or whatnot? And I, you know, what I say is, look, I'm a, you know, I do believe in God. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual person. And I feel like, why should I hide or lie to a society when God already knows? I mean, God knows what I've, what I've done. So what can you do to me more than what he can do? That's the person that's going to, when I'm going through this life and I go up and pass over and I've lived this, you know, this secret and then I get up there and he says, hmm, well, um, you know, you might have fooled all them down there, but you didn't fool me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's why I, I put it out there. Not as a judgment that God will, you know, condemn me, but just to say, you know, to own up to my choices, whether good or whether bad, to say, I'm learning from this, I'm moving forward. And, um, and, and, you know, because I feel like when you, when you live in a secret, you, you live in a lie, and you live in darkness, and that's not a good place to be for anybody. Um, it's better to be honest and move on um, than to keep yourself in that, um, in that darkness. Tell us about the dream. Oh, the dream. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, really, uh, it was really powerful. Um, it was a dream. I woke up and, uh, and, um, 
you know, I don't know who the 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 people that I was speaking with. I mean, it, I don't, you know, it seemed like they were like spiritual entities or like angels or something. I don't really remember, but it wasn't anybody that I knew. Um, and uh, and they were speaking to me, and uh, there were other things that were said, and I don't remember everything, but I, I but I, you know, I I, I remember distinctly them asking me, you know, what is the opposite of love? And, you know, and I said, hey, that's, you know, we say love, hate, right? Uh, fear and faith, and, you know, we, we have all of our opposites here. And so, and then when they said, you know, no, that's not true, and I'm like, what do you mean it's not true? You know, love, hate, you know, you love or you hate, it's, it's two opposites. And they said, no, the opposite of love is lie. And I'm like, lie? And I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense to me. And, um, and so, you know, I woke up and I sat there and, and, you know, pondered on the dream a little bit. And I'm like, I, I know there's a message in here. I know it's important. I need to get it. And, um, and, um, so as I got thinking about it and I was like, lie, you know, lie. And that's anything, uh, you know, hate is based on a lie. Shame is based on a lie. Fear is based on a lie. Um, and that's, you know, when I came out and my son, you know, uh, and I was talking to him about it and I said, you know, I said, I, you know, I understand. I told him about the dream and I said, I understand. Anything opposite of love is, is a lie. It, it doesn't really matter what it is. If it's hate, it's a lie. If it's fear, it's a lie. The shame, it's a lie. You know, I mean, how often do we speak lies? You know, we, little white lies or, you know, little, you know, big lies, little lies. You know, it's, 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 a, doesn't really matter. It's anything that's, you know, love is truth. God is love. And anything other other than that is a lie. A lot of times we tell ourselves um, or we have a voice that tells us stuff that's not true about ourselves. And we want to believe it. You know, we're not this, we're not that, or we should be this, or we should be that, or and, and makes us feel insecure. And the truth is that we are divine. We are special to God. Um, we are not perfect. He understands that. But the truth is, we are a child of God, and that is the truth. And when we live in the truth and we live in the love, then our path is, um, I don't want to say it's easy, it's perfect, but it's, it's, it's much more easy to walk on that path of truth than it is to walk on that path of lies. Well, you want to be a voice for the many women who have hidden in secret, in shame, uh, poor post-abortion women and post-adoption and birth mothers. Uh, quite a story, uh, you sharing even the lowest points in your life and exposing yourself, but to help others, to have hope. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, at the end, that, that, that's, that's what I want people to understand and, um, you know, and this really is a book for men and women. It says one woman's choice. And I've had a couple of guys say, well, I, you know, I'm a man's man. And I'm, I, I, but I said, you know, but I've had, an, I, I did have, um, uh, a couple of guys read it. And, um, they, they, you know, they thanked me. They said, you know, I, I, I had no idea. I had, I had no idea because they had gone through an experience like that. Of course, they were on the other side. They were the, the man, the man. And, um, and so that, I, that's why I wanted to pour my heart out because I, I, we don't, you know, it's hard for us to, to pour our heart out to our partner or, or, um, you know, to express that, to show that. And, um, so sometimes when it's an unbiased, somebody else reading another person's story, they can relate it to their life and to their story. Um, uh, you know, for women, um, you know, I want them to say, hey, look, you know, keep plugging along, keep going, keep striving, um, you know, trust in God. He will guide you. He, he will. Um, and, 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 you know, and I'm, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a very universal, uh, path to God. I mean, there are not, there's different religions and, it, you know, it's, it's not about, um, one religion. It's just about having faith. And a higher power, and 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 as as long as you um, recognize that and honor that, um, you know He will guide you. He will guide you through. 
We've been listening to Karen Whitaker. She is the author of her book, One Woman's Choice. Karen, tell us how to get your book. It is available on, um, of course, iUniverse.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com. Um, I do have a, a Facebook page, Karen Whitaker, um, Arthur, for, and it has One Woman's Choice um, on there. Um, they can, uh, anybody can go to uh, the uh, Facebook. I like it. If you don't mind, I would love to get some more likes out there and uh, subscribe. Uh, that's right now. I don't think it's in the bookstores right now. Um, it, it is in the Irving Public Library, or it will be. Um, they are going to put it, put it in their library. I think that's it, Steve. Well, thank you, Karen, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Ill Will, and the author, Anne Hutchinson. And Anne joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Anne. Hello there. Great to have you with us. Uh, a story, not an autobiography, but a story based on your experiences as a cancer survivor. And we'll learn more about yourself and why you decided to write the book. But let me just read a couple of things you've written about your book for everyone to, in general, understand the theme of your book. Uh, this is what you say. This is the story of Penny Devon diagnosed with a rare form of breast cancer who finds she must look deep into her spirit to overcome her mounting terror and to build a tenacity that can get her through biopsy, surgery, scans, treatment, her work, and her daily life. As she fights to maintain this spirit, those around her often take a surprising step back. Well, that is, uh, I guess, uh, an incredibly emotional ride for everyone, not only the cancer victim, but all those around her. Yes, indeed it is. So you went through this for how long? Um, I myself have uh, been a cancer patient for six years. And the diagnosis right now? Uh, it's uh, stage four metastatic breast cancer in remission. But as you pointed out before we started uh, recording, it could, uh, possibility, it could be somewhere else in your body, which is, could send a lot of uh, people into terrible uh, kind of, you know, I, I can't go on with life. But you've got a different attitude. Uh, completely different. Completely different. I need to go out there and just grab life. 
So when you first learned that you had cancer, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember the moment. Uh, what was the feeling? I think it was a feeling of uh, a little bit of terror, a little bit of hopelessness, and a little bit of, oh my gosh, but I've got all this other stuff to do. Yeah, it's the type of thing, obviously, for all of us who've never gone through that, it's, it's, I guess it's really difficult for us to understand what it's like, but that, and I guess that's the reason you're writing this book, to help us? Um, in large part, um, to help um, both cancer patients, people with other serious illnesses or chronic diseases, but also caregivers both um, immediate family members, but professional caregivers as well. So helping the personal caregiver to really understand how they can be most helpful. Yes. And I'm sure, like anything, when things drastic happen to people, sometimes we don't know what to do or what to say. But we should do something and we should say something. Um, Many times, yes, indeed you should. Our lives have changed in many ways as cancer patients, but we still have lives, very important lives, and we need to be able to live those as ordinarily as possible. There are many of us who just kind of work the whole cancer routine into our daily lives, and it it can work that way. So who is Penny Devon? How, how did you uh, create her? Is she based on someone? She's not based on any one person at all. Um, Penny is a, a compilation of hundreds of women that I have met over the last half a dozen years. Uh, we share many common concerns with one another, and... We all want very, very much to make sure that life goes on around us, both our lives and the lives of others. Tell us about her personality, her character. Um, Penny is free-spirited. She's feisty. She is very dedicated to her work, uh, to her family and to those around her. She will make sure that things get done in spite of what others might think needs to be done. So she's a bit, uh, as you put, uh, or maybe uh, more than a bit, wildly independent. Indeed she is. Which could be a big challenge, not only for her husband, but for the doctor. Yes, I think I did say at one point in time that she is many a doctor's worst nightmare. Um, Doctors are very, very accustomed to telling people what they need to do and expecting them to do exactly that. And since the Internet has come along, it's entirely possible to find um, that there may be a whole lot of discussion that needs to go on before you decide upon the plan. A lot of possible research, and many, I'm sure, do. They take, you know, they want to find out what's this disease, what's this cancer all about. Exactly. And what are my options? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, her husband, Jack, tell us about Jack. What what does he do? Uh, What's their relationship? Uh, How did he handle this? Um, Jack in the book is um, a, a very successful, very talented um, communications networking analyst, very, very busy with his job, but very uh, committed and very, um, very much the best friend that, that Penny has. Um, for him to actually, initially, he also finds it very difficult to accept what they're being told, um, which is that she does have this rare form of breast cancer, that she very likely is going to die. Um, he is a scientist, 
So in talking to doctors, he finds a lot of things to be very skeptical about when they make these suggestions. Um, but down the line, once she gets into treatment, she becomes very dangerously and very deathly ill. And he finds that hard to deal with at times. In particular, because she chooses to continue working full-time and actually living her life full-time as well. But many of those around her, family, friends, colleagues at work, don't necessarily agree with that decision. Thinking that she is not up to it anymore? Uh, it's not that she's not up to it. I th I, uh, as I created Penny, based upon all the women that I have known, um, she's very much up to it, but people need to understand that as she makes adjustments, they probably need to just kind of go with the flow. And some are able to do that pretty well, and others, I think, are very intimidated by that. Now, you state that cancer and all serious illness must be faced with dignity and steadfastness. So that's what Penny is all about? Very much so. It's hard because people make dignity very, very difficult. Um, many in the medical profession have become a little jaded in terms of cancer and other serious illnesses, too. And so it's sometimes difficult to maintain that, especially if you're trying to get your point across at some point in time. Um, and you have to stay... The, the cancer patient needs to be very aware of what current cancer research is because without that information you could be jeopardizing something in the care that you need to be receiving and the outcome of that, of that care. So we as friends of a victim, uh, what's one of the best things we can do for our, our, our friend who ha has this terrible disease? What's, what's the best thing we can do? Um, continued uh, being there just as, as you would have been the day before the person was diagnosed. If you were going to go out to lunch, if you were going to go to the movies, if you were going to go to dinner, if you were going to share a ride, if you were just going to kind of gossip about whatever's going on around you or at work, just continue to do that. We haven't changed enormously. We have this teeny tiny little cell someplace in our body that has decided to go bonkers and it's being dealt with and we are trying to deal with it ourselves but we need people to be there for us. What, what role does their daughter play in this story? Um, the daughter, uh, her name is Ginger, the daughter does not live in the same area that Penny and Jack do. Um, there's a wedding that takes place when Penny's kind of thinking there might be something wrong, but certainly hoping that there isn't. And so the daughter kind of has to go off and live her own life for a while, but the daughter becomes increasingly concerned, I think, as she begins to pick up on the vibe that her, her father is concerned as well. And the new man in Ginger's life, is he a key character? <laughs> um, he had, um, he's concerned, uh, doesn't know the family um, real well. He knows that, um, or he has a sense that it's a, it's a family that is very independent. They are each doing their own thing. Um, and so he, he will eventually kind of come into his own. Um, there's another book. Oh, okay. Uh, this is the beginning of a series? Yes. 
So we'll learn more about him, but he is much older than Ginger. Yeah, much. Um, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but, um, you know, there there are many couples where one is much older than the other, and there are things that need to be considered in that kind of a relationship. So in the... In the genesis of this book and where you're taking all these characters, uh, what would you say is the most important theme? The most important theme, uh, I think, well, there are actually three things that are being discussed. The one is um, the eternal waiting game that goes on with cancer. You're constantly having to wait. Um, and that's very, very difficult to deal with. And I hope that in the process of developing these chronicles that I can get the book into the hands of medical professionals because the waiting <laughs> is on their end, and it's extremely um, unnerving on the end of the patient. Um, and then constantly being told, you must do this. There's a lot of choices out there, and we need to be given choices. And then ultimately, um, cancer is a very scary word still. Um, it's much more spoken now than ever before, but it's still very, very scary. And when people offer to help out, they need to be available to help out. Um, and... They need not to kind of slide away into the background and let indifference take over. They need to be compassionate. They need to be there. And they need to be ready to just listen. One of the greatest roles, being a listener. Yes, probably the best role in the world. Anne Hutchinson, she's the author of her book, Ill Will. Anne, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can get it through the publisher, certainly, iUniverse. It is available on Amazon um, in Kindle format as well and available at Barnes & Noble. Thank you so much, Anne, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.